Plot twists. Candy candy floss. Movie tickets. I'm not already good at this. Story arcs. Plot twists. I said plot. Uh, oh. The plot thickens. Oh, Charles Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Thrillers, serial killers, sharks, good guys, bad guys, dinosaurs, great white sharks, greater white sharks, fast cars, directors, fast women, comedies, dramas, sci-fi, rom-coms, robots, sequels, prequels, VHS, Blu-ray. That's enough, isn't it? Right, yeah. I'm James. I'm Maxi, and this is Popped Corn. All right, so welcome everybody to this episode of Popped Corn. I'm Maxi and I'm James, and we've just seen a movie called Birdemic Two. It's a 2013 movie, the sequel to Birdemic One: Shock and Terror. Yeah, and I can't get it out of my mind. <laughs> uh, it seems to have polarized viewers. Some IMDb critics have uh, said this is uh, quote as bad <laughs> as bad as the first Birdemic movie, uh, and another one says it is the same bullshit all over again. End quote. Sorry, others say, though, um, if you need a reason to live, this is it. And others say it is a cinematic masterpiece. Well, look, not having seen Birdemic 1, it's hard to say how bad that one was. But I can say from experience after watching Birdemic 2, this was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Uh, should we take them through the, uh, through the synopsis? Let's do it. Uh, Bill uh, is an independent film director. He discovers waitress Gloria in a Hollywood eatery and casts her as the lead role of Kim in his new film, Sunset Dreams, which is financed by his friend Rod, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, and Rod's wife, Natalie. Um, shortly into production of Sunset Dreams, a toxic rain falls on Hollywood, uh, which causes preserved killer birds and cavemen to emerge from the Labria tar pits, and zombies to come to life in a nearby cemetery. What are we doing with our lives? I don't know. I felt... I felt like when I left school, I'd become so much more than this. Oh, okay. But here we are. Let's make the most of it. Let's embrace what destiny has given to us. Bill, Gloria, Rod and Natalie make their way around Hollywood with a dwindling band of survivors fighting off the various threats before the birds eventually cease attacking and fly away. Hmm. I don't know where to begin... So let's begin perhaps when Bill meets Gloria. Right. When Gloria is waitressing at a restaurant called Happy Endings. Happy Endings. The acting in that scene was a harbinger of what was to come. <laughs> uh, it was terrible acting throughout the film and it started then and there in that scene. Thanks. Do you know what you want to order yet? Yeah, I'm going to go with the chicken wings. Yeah. Thanks. Excuse me, miss? Yes? This may be a coincidence, but you remind me of someone I used to know. Really? What a coincidence. You wouldn't mind telling me who you are. Oh, my name's Gloria. Hi, Gloria. I'm Bill. Are you an actress? Yeah. I knew it. There's a movie star beauty about you. Thanks. So you're an actress. How come I've never heard of you? Uh, well, I'm still one of those struggling actresses. I haven't made my big movie break yet. But I do a lot of low-budget indie films in hopes that that'll get me discovered. With a look like yours, I'm sure one of these days you'll be discovered and make it big. Thanks for the encouragement. And we could tell the uh, every time the camera changed angle, the sound quality would change and jump. The editing was horrible. Mm -hmm. The look and feel, there was no art direction on scene mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go over who uh, acted in this film. Uh, 
Thomas uh, Favolaro. Now, IMDb doesn't actually tell us much about this guy, uh, other than the fact that... Six he's... foot one? <laughs> you saw it as well. Uh, but he was in another film named um, Kitten in a Cage, where he was a background actor. Hmm. Uh, Alan Bagg, or is Alan Barr? Uh, B-A-G-H. Uh, he was famous for such films as Ghost Shark 2. Uh, and he was in Pretty Little Liars, where he is uncredited as the man with a stamp. Mm. Mm. Uh, moving on, uh, Whitney Moore, who played Natalie. Uh, she was famous for Birdemic Part 1. Uh, she's in a TV series called Casual, where she plays a party guest. Mm. <laughs> and uh, is in an upcoming movie called Yeti, A Love Story, Life on the Streets. Uh, we might profile that. I think I think it's worth looking at. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, can't be worse than Bigfoot. Uh, finally, uh, if it's got Danny Bonaduce, <laughs> we're not watching it. <laughs> uh, finally, Chelsea Turbo uh, played um, Gloria. Gloria, uh, and she was also she's famous for playing, of course, uh, sexy Elsa on uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. Oh, there you go. Uh, and it is also written uh, by James Newen, directed by James Newen. Uh, he didn't star in it, but he, uh, it was produced by James Newen. Mm. And we know that because uh, during the long opening sequence of the guy walking down what I'm guessing is called Hollywood Road, mm. uh, we saw his. Is that name. Hollywood Boulevard? I'm not sure what it's called. My the, geography's terrible. The one with all the stars on the road, mm. and then he walks past mm. like man's Chinese theater. But as the I think what you can say is the credit rolls. Instead of just saying written, produced, directed by James Newen, it says individually written by James Newen, produced by James Newen, directed by James Newen. Which, for many of our listeners, for both of you, you've probably watched <laughs> The Room before, and you'll note that that's uh, one of the oddities about that. One of the many oddities about The Room yeah. is that Tommy Wiseau doesn't say. Um, written, directed, produced. He says, written by Tommy Wiseau, produced by Tommy Wiseau, directed by Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in this this film here. That's right. He didn't learn his lesson from the uh, movie 10 years before. No. Uh, so this movie uh, is about a movie being made. Um, uh, the main dude, he uh, meets the uh, Hollywood producers and uh, over a meeting, <laughs> they say that he gets his like million dollar grant. They broke the news to him like it was like American Idol. They sort of like let him sort of hang a little while. <laughs> they said, We decided to invest one million dollars in your movie. <laughs> They clapped and celebrated with each other for about, uh, I don't know, like half an hour, I'm mm. guessing. Um, a little bit awkward. Um, and uh, then suddenly the movie was a go. Um, yes. Greenlit? Greenlit. Is that a term? <laughs> Look at me. I think so. You Look at me. I know my Hollywood go get you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he puts his film together, he does his casting, he gets. Uh, from happy endings into the lead role he gets rod's girlfriend natalie a supporting role and then all couples or both both couples rather head out to the museum at the tar pits uh, for a day out an adventure 
And then that's where it starts <laughs> to get a little bit strange. Can I just say as well, before it gets strange, that's half the movie done. <laughs> that's <laughs> that was, right. So it's like arc. A, yeah. We're almost at the, at the <laughs> precipice there. Oh my God. Uh, so they're walking through the museum and um, suddenly there are five of them. Suddenly there is a young boy with them out of nowhere. And he's he's... Related to Natalie, because Natalie was in the first film. Oh, hang on. The dude, Rod, I think, says he has an adopted son. And that must be because they're in the first film. um, That's right. And he saved uh, this little kid. Plays a very small part. But what Mm. was that quote? I wrote it down. Um, He's with them. They're looking at birds. And he says to Natalie, um, I wish Susan was here. To see uh, this. To see this. But she got a disease from the fish that Rod cooks. I wish Susan could have been here to see this bird skeleton, but she got a disease from that fish that Rod cooked. So is we're gonna to have to go back and watch the first film. Is Susan dead? And if so, did Rod kill her? And if so, why does Rod still have custody of this child? That's right. So many questions. More questions than answers. But they walk out of the museum and without the boy because he's disappeared. <laughs> he's just gone. So Rod's, I'm already questioning Rod's guardianship abilities. Uh, he obviously does not have a clear understanding as to where this child is at any given time. And there's this old fella on the on the bridge, and they go, um, "Oh, that's Doctor Jones." Then they but say, then "Doctor Jones is talking to them," and but he, he says, goes deep. He goes so deep, so quick into some sort of massive backstory. Well, about... because if you listen to the dialogue from Doctor Jones's perspective, he <laughs> says, "Well, talking to them all, he says." You remember when I spoke to you at Half Moon Bay? Right. So from Dr. Jones's... Who, it seems as though the Maybe. script was written by different people in different places <laughs> who never got together to decide to let's marry up the let's let's marry up the script. Maybe he was in the first film. So, but he could have been in the first film, but then regardless, he, he clearly knows them, but they don't know who he is. That's right. Which is weird. But he goes into some massive backstory. It's even got its own sort of flashback about cavemen having sex under a tree whilst these giant <laughs> vultures and eagles who, ha- who have the power of dinosaurs and the size, that were, you know, five times the size of eagles and vultures these days. Then they swoop and they attack these two cavemen that are uh, having sex and kill them both there and then. But suddenly there's a big sort of like a explosion and this tarpet covers them and preserves their DNA. Mm. And they're still... You know, alive and well underneath all this tar. All it takes is something to uh, uh, ignite the entire thing to get them back, uh, back and animated again. Mm. Meanwhile, this mystical red rain uh, falls, and uh, when everyone is shooting the movie, um, all these birds and cavemen emerge from the tar pit. That's right, and wreak havoc with the birds quickly infesting Hollywood studios and killing all the cast and crew. <laughs> but our favourite members manage to escape. Taking guns that they've taken from security guards, shooting off the birds, going to another scene where a horror film is being shot with half-naked beauties. That's right. Um, Unfortunately, all of those women lose their lives, but our heroes continue on, commandeering a RV and then driving all the way over Los Angeles. They drive around Los Angeles looking for other survivors. Meanwhile... Uh, the uh, the casting budget, I guess, is like so low that uh, there are many people driving around in the background as they're saying, you know, there's no one else alive. That's right. Uh, yet you get people just sort of walking the street. That's um, right. And then you get the camera shots of them driving around, quite clearly taken from another car in right. the in front, 
um, and the camera shot, the camera work throughout the film is so bad that you can at one point see the hair of the cameraman, which must be incredibly long, <laughs> flapping in the wind over the camera. Uh, you can see the wheel, which must be mounted on the rear boot of the car that yeah. is is in front of the RV as it's filming it. So the whole camera work and sound quality of the film is very questionable. And uh, throughout this experience, they uh, they have run-ins with uh, different survivors each one is as uh, redundant as the next in terms of progressing the story Mm. Uh, they meet one guy um, who says that uh, the birds don't attack him because he doesn't use toilet paper is that right right? because toilet Uh, paper comes from trees and he hasn't used it for three years yeah Um, surely the birds would understand why toilet paper is a necessity for humans Um, but uh, as you mentioned during the film um, why is it that the birds are attacking uh, right-wing capitalists but nobody else? That's right. I don't know. They have a clear left-wing bias, only attacking those who are living a capitalist consumerist lifestyle. I don't get it either. I think I saw an episode that said you guys don't use toilet paper. That's right. Toilet paper is made from trees. Trees are cut down to make toilet paper. In fact, we haven't used toilet paper in many years. <laughs> Are you two aware that the eagles and vultures are attacking? Yes, but they don't seem to bother us, probably because we live a uh, green, non-emitting lifestyle. Well, it was nice seeing you guys again, and your family. Guys, let's go. Let's get out of here. I don't know why they choose the zoo to check for survivors, but they do go in there. Uh, whilst they're there, they, uh, they find a, uh, a guy who explains to them um, that... Uh, the birds don't attack them in the zoo because they their cars... They fossil fuels. That's right, and the place is solar-powered. Yeah. Um, and so what do you do when you finally find a place where the uh, birds stop attacking you? Uh, you stay there, and it, you no, don't go any further. No, That's no. a sanctuary. That is a safe place. You're wrong. You decided to uh, keep, you decided to keep driving okay. uh, back in your RV. Sorry. Through a graveyard. Uh-huh. Uh, and, of course, the uh, Red Rain's got the graveyard, not just the tar pits. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's not selective, and it has brought the... Uh, dead bodies from the graveyard back to life as well back to life um, and the one thing that jumped out at me watching this is that these people had not been buried in their Sunday best they'd <laughs> obviously been buried in cargo pants and baseball t-shirts yeah. Little skateboard t-shirts that's right and flannel in one case if I'm not mistaken <sighs> so some very uncaring relatives there <laughs> they, they did come back to life they attacked and uh, our heroes were many were able to put them down with uh, the Guns with the never-ending bullets. That's right, magic guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don Rod, I think Rod, his name was, uh, he was uh, doing roundhouse kicks. He was uh, doing judo flips. Very, very professional. And so what happened after that? They um, they got back in the RV and they kept driving and eventually the birds kind of flew away. Was there a... There was no satisfying ending. There was no explanation whatsoever as to what happened. Only a very slow 75-second ending... Oh, with the very bad South Park animation-like quality of the birds flying off into the distance over the Hollywood sign. If the movie was B-grade, that scene was C-grade. Can we, can we go back to the, perhaps the scene that jumped out at me most after the museum scene? Uh-huh. And it was the, the lovemaking scene Ooh. between Bill and Gloria which left me feeling very uneasy because I just know that if I was in the circum- their circumstances, the only reason I would like to take my shirt off on camera is for perhaps something a little bit more tasteful or at least something that would, you know, 
live on in posterity more so than Birdemic 2. Uh, so I felt the awkwardness in both of them as that film was being, that scene was being shot. But then I think um, the, um, the, the strangest point was when you could quite clearly see the sound technician, his reflection in a mirror in That's the background. Right. Oh my God. I didn't see it the first time around, but when, when you showed me again, I saw him there just standing there, incredibly bored, going, fuck, let's get this. <laughs> I didn't like the uh, the box jellyfish scene. I found it to take up too much time without progressing the storyline. Yeah, there was a um, no sense. Uh, it, it was a girl's legs. Uh, she wasn't even underwater. It was a. Um, it was a very. It was a, it was a fake underwater. It was scene. a green screen, which mm. we could tell, and um, and a CGI box jellyfish that came up. Um, and it was just like a um, repeated animation. Um, she was stung by a jellyfish, ran out of the water, blood everywhere. A CGI ambulance drove away. I, I I don't understand the significance of that scene. No. I I wasn't enthralled by it. There was nothing. There was nothing to it, which uh, which gave me anything to sort of like love the characters any extra or anything like that. No. And she ran out of the water, past other people screaming help, help, <laughs> and then knowing what I know now after watching the whole film and seeing other scenes where people's faces were blurred out because obviously they were not aware that they were being filmed. I wonder whether those people that she ran past to get to our our heroes on the beach had any idea what was going on. That's right. They just had this blonde girl running out of the water with blood on her saying, help, help. <laughs> and instead of stopping with them, which would have been normal if they were part of the, the, the show, she just ran right past them. Up, up, up into the sand. Well, it's LA. It's doggy dog. And by the way, in LA, they're probably used to uh, seeing people covered in blood running in the streets. Are you okay? What stung you? Something stung me. What stung you? A jellyfish. A jellyfish? Yes, a giant jumbo jellyfish. Hurry, somebody call the ambulance. Call nine one one. Don't worry, miss. We're gonna get help. Please, we need an ambulance now. A woman has been stung on the beach. What happened to her? Something about a giant jumbo jellyfish. Please, we need an ambulance now. They're on their way now. Okay, thank you. What I did like about this film was that some of the scenes were hilariously long and rubbish, and we just we were looking at each other during this movie, going, "What is actually happening here? Why are we watching this film?" But you know, it was funny, so I don't think this film is too bad. So let's give it a rating out of uh, out of five popped kernels. Well, um, just reminding our listeners that um, a B-grade film must have a formulaic storyline with many inconsistencies, poor production quality, lesser known or has been cast, with questionable acting abilities, a low budget and laughable quotes. So on that score, the film had about four out of, out of those elements, mm. four of those elements, I, but, but not necessarily in a way that left me with a good feeling. Um, I felt that, for example, some of the elements that worked well could have been used much more. For example, the 1980s soundtrack hmm. with electric guitar and drums with vocals uh, to the song of uh, I'm Set for Glory. Um, I thought that was a good... Um, that was taking the film on a nice tangent, on a nice trajectory, but unfortunately it wasn't meant to be carried throughout the entire film. Hmm. Uh, the poor sound, post-production quality... The incredibly bad acting and the bad dialogue. Um, I can only give this, in all good conscience, two out of five kernels. <laughs> um, I could not have said that better myself. But what I will add was it was 
it was almost as if they didn't give a crap if we liked it or not. Mm. And I commend them for that. So, <laughs> well, so you give this uh, two popcorn nails out of five, I give this three popcorn nails out of five. And that's just above average. Um, and I think it I, th- I think it was good. So that's on par with Lost in the Pacific. Are you sure? Um, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Because that was a special film. I'm feeling like I should go back in time and change my review for Lost in the Pacific. Well, once it's locked in, it's locked in. It is locked in. Okay. That's set in stone. Well, I'm going to stick with my two. The concrete is set. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening. Well, until next time, this has been Popcorn. Popcorn. Sure do. Do you want to see more? Sure.